You're listening to episode number one of Strike the Match. On this episode, we will be talking about who was St. Patrick and what can we learn from him. With St. Patrick's Day just around the corner, I thought this would be a great time to address this topic. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Today on Strike the Match, we have uh, Dr. Ed Smither with us. Uh, Ed is a professor of intercultural studies at Columbia International University. He also served as a professor at Liberty University, where he taught intercultural studies and church history. And uh, he also served for 14 years in intercultural ministry, working primarily among Muslims in France, North Africa, and the United States. Uh, Ed uh, has two PhDs. Man, I didn't know you had two PhDs until I read this in your bio. Look at you. Um, you got an extra cool point in my book there. <laughs> yeah, got, it's suffering. There you go. He's got two PhDs, one in historical theology and one in intercultural studies. Uh, and that is going to be incredibly valuable in our conversation today uh, as we talk about really bringing those two worlds together and discussing uh, who was this guy called St. Patrick. Uh, Ed has written four books, and he's got a fifth one on the way. Let me, give, let me give you guys the title of his four books. I want you to check them out. Uh, he's got uh, a book called Augustine as Mentor, a Model for Preparing Spiritual Leaders, uh, Brazilian Evangelical Missions in the Arab World, uh, Rethinking Constantine, and also Mission in the Early Church. Okay. His, his new work uh, that, Lord willing, will probably be out next year in 2016, so hey, you guys that are listening to this are getting a heads up. Uh, is called Missionary Monks, an Introduction to the History and Theology of Missionary Monasticism. And uh, we're going to also touch on that book a little bit today as well as we uh, uh, talk about uh, Patrick. Uh, you, you know, Patrick is an, is an interesting uh, character in, in mission history. Uh, in her book, uh, From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, uh, Ruth Tucker uh, makes this statement. She, she writes, Shrouded in legend, and glorified by sainthood, Patrick, Ireland's great 5th century missionary, is one of the most misrepresented figures in church history. And so this month being March and St. Patrick's Day, uh, in this month, and of course at the time of this recording, it's just around the, the corner coming up on us, uh, today we're discussing, you know, who was the real St. Patrick on Strike the Match, and I, I really know of no one better qualified to talk about Patrick uh, than than Ed, because he has the, the mind and the experience uh, of being both a historian uh, and also being engaged in missionary activity and intercultural studies. And so, so Ed Smither, uh, welcome to Strike the Match today. Thank you, J.D. It's so good to be with you. Man, you are a professor at Columbia International University. Uh, for those that have no idea where CIU is, where are you guys located? We're in Columbia, South Carolina, right in the middle of the state. There you go, Columbia, South Carolina. You guys have an amazing campus over there. I, I think it's one of the one of the most beautiful campuses that I've seen uh, for a school. So, uh, Patrick, man or, or myth? I mean, who, who was this? Who was this guy? Who was the real Patrick? Sure. Well, that's that's such a good question, and I I always ask good questions. Yeah, it's an excellent <laughs> question. Um, you know, one, one of the first things I tell people is that Patrick wasn't Irish. Um, in fact, yeah. uh, he grew up in the western part of the Roman Empire. He was ethnically British, 
And so when we think about the British Isles, there were Anglo-Saxon peoples, there were British peoples, there were Irish and other Gaelic peoples. And so Patrick was most likely British uh, from a Christian family. Um, and his engagement with the Irish came when actually he was captured as a slave. Um, he lived in a time when about a quarter of the world's population uh, were slaves. And so he was taken and uh, and that, that would began his his period uh, his time among the Irish and what was that time uh, what was the time period what are we looking at sure you know with even dating Patrick's life is different um, he was born right at the end of the fourth century some would say about the year 389 um, and so uh, so he was about 16 so that would have been in the early 400s that he would have first gone to live among the Irish um, what we definitely know about him is that he Later, um, went back, uh, he was set apart as a missionary bishop, uh, which is an interesting thing, actually, by the Bishop of Rome, and set, up, set apart to uh, not to do what bishops in his day did, that was to lead existing churches, uh, but to bring the gospel to the Irish. And so, so we definitely know he was from, Brit from Britain, um, served among the Irish in the 5th century, um, and um, and. and and um, part of the problem is the sources. Uh -huh. um, the most the yeah. most reliable sources we have actually are his own confessions and a letter that he wrote. Um, and then in the centuries that came after him, there were there were lots of more uh, dreamy uh, representations of Patrick that we have to really sift through carefully. Yeah. So I remember reading one. I'm assuming is is one of the more reliable sources uh, that. When he was a teenager, there were invaders came, and those mm -hmm. were the ones that captured him and carried him off to slavery. I mean, is that is that correct? Yeah, that that would come from Patrick's confessions, and that's that's pretty reliable. And and so from there, he he is taken. To, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He's taken to Ireland, mm -hmm. and he's there for six years. That's right. And and I believe he was he was he was basically serving as a slave to a pig farmer, if I recall correctly. It's a shepherd. It's a shepherd. Okay, mm -hmm. and and then he he has a dream, right? That's right. And so That's so right. so what what is what happens there in, in his in his story? Sure. When he's about roughly about twenty two years old, uh, he tells us in his confessions that he has a dream of a ship, and and uh, he believes it's God leading him to run and escape, and he does, um, and he goes back uh, goes back to his family in Britain. And, and that actually, the, that, that first vision is followed up by a second vision. And in all, in, in his confessions, he talks about seven different visions hmm. that he has. Uh, what's, what, um, some, sometimes we can be tripped up by the idea that someone can have visions, but his visions are ultimately, uh, after getting back to safety with his family, uh, a vision to go back and to make disciples among the Irish, to, to go to the very people that had caused him harm. So even though so even though he escaped and got returned to his family, uh, he 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 basically says that you know the Lord has called me to go back to the people that uh, that captured me. Wow, how about that? That's correct. That's so, correct. So so let, let's go off the more of the, the 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 historical accuracy for a moment. Um, do, do you recall any of the the myths that are out there about about the guy? I'm not familiar with them. I know they're out there. I know something has to do with snakes and something like that. And yeah, there, there is his. To be honest with you, I've not paid a lot of attention uh, to those. There, there are stories about shamrocks and uh -huh. uh, and and um, and his uh, ability to have power over snakes and things like that. But um, I'll uh, I'll leave the myth to, to the myth makers. <laughs> there, there you go. So, so you uh, ha have this book coming out. 
Uh, and I'm going to bring this back to Patrick, of course, because I believe you have a chapter in that book on Patrick. That's right. So mm-hmm. you got this book coming out called Missionary Monks, uh, an introduction to the history and theology of missionary monasticism. So, so tell us a little bit about this book, and um, and then we'll we'll get back to the conversation on Patrick because it does tie in with him. Sure, sure. Well, in teaching mission history for the last seven or eight years and preparing, even even today and yesterday, I was in courses teaching mission history. Um, about the year, really about the year 500, uh, go back a little bit before into the 4th century, uh-huh. uh, to about the year 1500 in the history of the church, the key leaders in mission movement in the world were monks. And, uh, and sometimes there are monks, even like Patrick, that we don't even realize that they, they're living a monastic lifestyle. Um, and so I, I had never, you know, we, we see, you mentioned Ruth Tucker's book, she mentioned some of the monks, and in other surveys, they're kind of there. But what I wanted to do is just kind of under one roof, look at, at biographical portraits of some representative monks from about, from the time of Basil of Caesarea in the 4th and 5th century, mm-hmm. uh, or in the 4th century rather, until the Jesuits in the, in the um, beginning in the 16th century, and to narrate their story, to look at their approaches to mission, and really to ask uh, reflectively of history, what can we learn from uh, from missionary monks? That's, so, that, that's awesome. And so, so let let's. What can we learn from Patrick? I mean, so what? You know, what? What did you? What? What do you know about Patrick? That that. Well, maybe I should ask this question. How about? How about? Um, what were his missionary methods? Let's kind of just start sure. maybe that question. What, sure. I mean, what did this guy do? Well, one of the things we've we've kind of already mentioned that is remarkable that I think is challenging and striking our match is um, is that uh, that he li- that he had no problem thinking that God would speak to him in visions about God's work. Um, and 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 he and it's not so much the miraculous part or that that uh, powerful encounter, but it's the fact that he obeyed. He seems to obey the Lord in these instances uh, to move forward in mission. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's something that that we should reflect on. Um, in terms of his strategies, uh, one of his uh, interesting uh, initial strategies that that was shared by other people in the period is when he went to Ireland, the first place that he went were to tribal kings and leaders. Uh, he sought favor with them. He brought them gifts, and he, he sought to evangelize them uh, and to seek their favor to preach the gospel among their people. And, uh, and as I reflect on, on modern days, a lot of times we, we can tend to want to bypass political authorities, especially in difficult places in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly Patrick went to a difficult place, but the first... His first stop in the new mission venture in Ireland was to knock on the front door of a of a palace and 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 make those connections. You know, it is it's fascinating to to study uh, church history in general, but but you know the history of the church is missions history. We often forget that. I'm sure. Um, I mean, it is about you know the advancement of the gospel and multiplication of disciples and, and leaders and churches. You know across across the world up until today. And, you know, I think that, you know, most of us in our local churches, and I would even say many, uh, many pastors, many leaders, and uh, in, in some cases, mission agency leaders, uh, when it comes to church history, you know, the history of the church and mission, we, um, 
we 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 really fall short in our knowledge, you know, I think in that area. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, there's the first century, there's Jesus, there's Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, you know, happens in the year 1500 or so, Reformation, and then there's Billy Graham. And, you know, there's nothing else that exists sure. out there. So w- tell us, um, Ed, tell us why why is history so important um, for for the practical application of of disciple making today and, and not just as an intellectual exercise why is sure. knowing history so important sure well I, I think as, as you've said already uh, you know ours is an historical faith and um, just as we look back to the historical Jesus we have a, his, a historical church and um, and if we really want to know and appreciate our history, part of it is to acknowledge that that mission has been central in driving that. Um, I think that an acquaintance with history uh, it's humbling to us because, um, you know, even even your question, what were Patrick's missionary methods? Well, uh, one of those, um, I would say, three methods are um, evangelism, intentional discipleship, and, and missionary teams. And uh, sometimes we think we invented that in the 18th or 19th century or in the 20th century. But what I find over and over again as I go back to look at, at the history of mission, I'm very humbled. Um, even um, if we go broader to, we look at someone like Hudson Taylor mm-hmm. and the interior of China. Well, he was really building on the work of the Jesuits in the 16th and 17th century and some of their strategies. And so I find that 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 mission history is humbling. It realizes that uh, it shows me that not everything today is new and improved and better, uh, that, and, and that there's a lot to learn from the past. There are certainly things to, to keep in the past, uh, but there are some innovative things that, um, that, that we can sit and, 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 and really learn some things from. Were any of his? I know you mentioned the, the you know the the, the approach that uh, evangelism, intentional discipleship, disciple making, and and working with teams. Were were, in, were any of his approaches controversial at that point in time? Well, uh, I think probably the most controversial thing is Patrick's biggest conflict was with the established church, and so the fact that he would go to the uh, the fact that he would go to the Irish. Um, because the church was not established really well in Ireland at that point in time, right? Right, exactly. It, it was with the Roman Church uh-huh. that, that he was, and, and the Celtic Church and the Roman Church, had, they were diff- there was a different culture, there were different practices, and so um, so Patrick, and there were some others, Martin of Tours, there were others, missionaries that actually their biggest conflict were with other bishops and church leaders that were leading established churches and not pressing out to the frontiers. Um, to what Patrick Patrick believed he was living in the last days, and he was at the ends of the earth. And he he reflected on Matthew twenty four a good bit. Mm-hmm. Matthew twenty eight, we see him referencing. You know, we uh, the Matthew twenty eight, what we call the Great Commission today. Um, but uh, probably, I would say probably the biggest controversial area um, within in in the Irish context is that uh, that as Patrick started churches, he organized monastic communities. And that was partly for discipleship, that was for spiritual formation, that was to help Irish Christians to step away from the pagan environment that they were living in. And so I think that 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 was a bit controversial, that he was really organizing a new society, because at the time when he was ministering in Ireland, there were no towns, there were no cities. Um, He went to monarchs and leaders because 
this was the social structure of a really tribal mm -hmm. uh, area. And so the fact that he was going against the grain of the social structure and organizing people in discipleship communities in monasteries, especially um, sons of kings and princes and others, uh, key people, um, this this certainly rubbed some people the wrong way. So for, for those that are listening that, that aren't familiar with the, the term monastic communities, what, what, I know you kind of described that, but, but can you kind of define that? What What is a monastic community, at least according to Patrick in that, that time and period? Sure. Well, a lot of times we think of monks as uh, as an individual who goes to the Egyptian or Syrian desert and sits on a rock, in, isolated <laughs> yeah. for their lives, or or like in Syria, Simeon the Stylite, who stood atop a pole for thirty years trying to stay awake. Uh, but in the history of monasticism, um, a, a monk is one who is withdrawn from the world. Um, and really, monastic life in the communal sense, and most monks are communal monks. It's a dedication to prayer, both individual and collective prayer, uh, a commitment to Scripture, to memorizing Scripture, to knowing Scripture, uh, but also a commitment to work. And uh, a lot of the work and the, the work that monks have done ha have been to sustain themselves, but also to do work that helped them to stay focused in the life of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, what we find with Irish monks and other monks is that their preferred work over time becomes preaching the gospel across cultures. And so that became the work of monks. And so, uh, so really, it, 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 it's, um, it's, it's a really a discipleship community withdrawn from the world. But in the case of Patrick and many of the monks that I'm, I'm writing on at this period, they were monks living in cities. Mm. Um, they, were, they were in the world, not of the world, and, and, and seeking to be a light to the world. Sounds like a sermon. It does. It says that's, that's great title, man. Um, End of Patrick's life, what was his impact on Ireland? Sure. Well, um, numbers are, are tricky, but it's believed that, uh, that they, by some, that he started as many as 200 new churches. Um, uh, now, there, there were Christians in Ireland before Patrick got there. Many of them were slaves that were taken into, mm -hmm. um, in, in, into Ireland. Um, there was even another missionary named Palladius who went um, to the Irish before Patrick. It, probably he only was there for a couple of years and probably was making connection with existing Christians. So, um, so he wasn't missing as much. Mm -hmm. um, um, but um, but yeah, about two hundred churches, and it's believed that as many as a hundred thousand uh, began to to believe. Wow! And uh, and when we look at the legacy of Patrick and the and the monasteries that were formed in Ireland, um, there's the the some of the ro most robust missionary movements uh, led by Irish monks like Columba and mm -hmm. Columbanus and Aidan that went out to Scotland, to France, uh, to other parts of Europe. Um, Th those were the fruits, really, of, of Patrick's ministry. This this monastic living, this commitment to preaching the gospel, to itinerant preaching and and disciple making. So it was uh, quite a legacy. Wow! So the the slave returned. The slave gets his freedom and yet returns to uh, to preach the gospel and and baptize and plant churches. Man, that's, absolutely, that, that is awesome. Tell us uh, before we let you go, Ed. Why are you writing this book on missionary monks? Well, uh, again, for what I mentioned earlier is, is uh, you know, as I prepare to teach, I, I've just been bumping into monks for years, and, uh, and I guess I was surprised that there wasn't one volume under one roof, so to speak, uh, um, where we could look at them. Um, the other thing is that I think that, um, that as evangelicals, as Protestants, uh, 
we are activists um, and, and uh, we are busy. And I think that, that one of the things that, that monks teach us is, uh, is, the, is the spiritual nature, the, that is um, our, our spiritual lives and the renewal that, that takes place there. And I'm not advocating that uh, I don't want to become a monk and I don't think others should become monks necessarily. Um, but there are some monastic principles of, um, of renewal, of prayer, of retreat, um, that refuel us in the work of mission. And so part of it is, is just to try to get at what they were doing and how they were, you know, how they were, how that spiritual element was at work. Uh, but I'm also quite keen to, to, to probe a little more into their theology of mission. So my guest today on Strike the Match uh, has been Dr. Ed Smither, the author of the forthcoming work, Missionary Monks, an introduction to the history and theology of missionary monasticism. Ed is a professor of intercultural studies at Columbia International University. Ed, are, do you have an online presence, a social media presence, that uh, if people want to touch base with you, they could track you down? Sure. I have a, have a web page, uh, just my name, edsmither.com. Spell that for us. Uh, uh, ed. S M I T H E R dot com. Okay. And um and you can and follow me on Twitter at Ed Smither as well. Ed Smither, E D S M I T H E R dot com. Ed, thanks so much for being with us today on Strike the Match. Thank you, JD. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. You have been listening to Strike the Match with JD Payne. You can find JD on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.